the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What are Gen Z believers looking for? And then, when should pastors return to the pulpit after being fired in disgrace? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Aubrey, happy Tuesday. It's chilly outside. My mom was asking me, like, is, you know, is the real cold gone? And I was, it is chilly, but it's not as bad as it was that weird week when, like. Gotta wait till late January. Like, it was, like, mid-January to late February where we go, oh, my face hurts. Can I tell you something that made me real jealous? Yes. This is a confession. I'm working on it with Jesus. We were with someone from our church the other night, and they're building a house in Florida for, like, winter. Because they were like, we just want a better. How old are they? We want a. Um, our age. No way. We want a better, what do they call, oh, better quality of life in the winter in Chicago. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's great for you. Uh, at least I'm they're so honest. I, I get so annoyed with the people and forgive me if out there you're one of these people. <laughs> I get so annoyed with the people who are like, nope, I want the seasons. I don't need face hurt season. Right. No, I don't needs need that, that season. Right. I could use like 50 season, yeah, maybe once like in snow, snow in a while. Yeah. yeah. It's like when Anitra the other day from food for the poor was like, <laughs> I'd like a weekend of snow. Yeah. I go to New York or something. Yeah. But it's the, those well, we people who are we like don't really need January and February. And no the people human who pre- that. pretend that they need that in Chicago just can't afford the house in Florida. Just own it. I'm <laughs> just, like that. I can't yeah, afford the house in Florida. I would if I could. I think that's true. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's yeah. our rant of the day. All right. What are we talking about, Brian? Here we go. Christianity Today. I found this to be fascinating. They did a uh, a bit of a study, a discussion about Gen Z believers. So Gen Z is kind of is that just out of college. Is that is that where we're at with Gen Z? I probably need to look up the age range. Probably in Why their don't 20s, I do that? Probably in their 20s, How I'm guessing. How old is Generation Z currently? I'm looking at Currently. That up. Okay. Does that... Okay. Yeah. They are, yeah, ages 11 to 26. 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So our kids are yeah, Gen Z. Yeah, kids are Gen okay. Z. Yeah. So I guess then next is millennials and then is us or is there Gen one X, of the three? Yep. Okay. And then the boomers. How can older believers better support Gen Z? That was the discussion they were having. Fascinating. Okay. Listen to the one thing that was said. There are a couple things that were said in this that are interesting, but I want to just start with this one. What so many Gen Z believers are looking for is to no longer be viewed as children, but to be given a measure of respect, Hmm. not the honor earned by professionals, professors or politicians, but the respect naturally allocated to adults. So let's get off the 11 side here. Let's move to the college post college time. I can remember being that age. I don't think this is a generational thing. I think we all feel that way at that age. There's a kind of. Two sides of this. There's a double-edged sword here, right? Yes, we want to be treated as adults, but then also, man, did I have an arrogance in my early 20s know, that was like, so you probably funny. shouldn't treat me as an adult. Right. I probably, I'm actually not an adult. I think I'm an adult. I mean, you are an adult. That's what's hard. Yeah, you, but we got married at 22, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
But you just you there is a there is an arrogance of the young that in one sense is great. It moves things forward. But when you are in like a, a diverse aged group, yeah, you the young tend to just think they're right. And the older's the older ones. I mean, this is me. I did this. The older ones don't have wisdom, don't have seasoning, don't have perspective. And so, yeah, that is kind of interesting. It's funny you say this because I was with a. Um, someone who's probably 10 years younger than me, so millennial. Okay. And she was... So they were like 41. <laughs> Brian, that's Does that not mean? Nice. Was that mean? That's not very nice. <laughs> um, she was part of a church, and they had brought in several different age brackets to talk about something about the future of the church. And she was just noting, like, in her own millennial heart, the things that the boomers were talking about were really, really different, but she didn't feel like as a millennial, even though she was invited into the conversation really wasn't being heard. Mm. And ultimately she and her husband left this church. Cause they were like, wow, they actually said they wanted to hear from the millennials. And like this thing is saying, view us as adults, not children. But really at the end of the day, they didn't treat us like that. Mm. So it kind of interesting. I just remember when I was in my low to mid 20s or maybe my late teens so college and then out of college. Yeah. I you go through this stage and I'm sure that my oldest daughter is probably entering this stage here soon and I just have to reckon with it like uh being on the other end of this where you would literally think to yourself, man, my parents know nothing. Oh, I know sure. so much yeah. more than them. Oh, Let yeah. me go lecture them. And now it's so weird to be that age. You're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> do you, do you, because sometimes I think I still think that about my parents. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm wondering, like, do you age out of that at some point? <laughs> like, Consider my parents listen to the show. I have aged out of you, that. <laughs> yeah, your parents know everything. No, I, I, I definitely thought I knew more than my parents. I definitely thought I... I saw things better than yeah. an older generation. Maybe that would be how I say it. my views were more correct or the way I wanted to do more church and then yeah, yeah, more enlightened. I do think that's just a kind of a trap of youth and yeah. probably a gift of youth in some ways too, or else things wouldn't move forward and they, change. They found something else interesting in here. They said when older Christians, which now is you and that's I, us. by the way, yep. hear about the ways that Gen Z is quote unbundling or quote deconstructing their faith, they can become fearful. Perhaps open-mindedness equates to moral relativism. Perhaps lost trust can't be regained. As a member of Gen Z myself, this is the author speaking, I don't share this concern. Oftentimes, being in dialogue with people of other perspectives leads us back to, not away from, objective, capital T, truth. As we come of age in the faith, we need older believers to support us in our reckoning rather than shying away from our questions and concerns. There is something in the next generation where there is it. Like when I was younger, it was like, so this was never said this way, but the other religions were seen as the enemy. Oh, totally. And now there yeah. is this kind of like, let's learn from each other. Yeah. And it quite frankly makes me uneasy. My daughter's going to be studying over abroad in yeah, this fall. And right. I literally talked to her over Thanksgiving. Do you have any fear mm. of what being in a predominantly Muslim mm. area is going to do to your faith? And she was very much like this. No, it'll bolt and bolt. And I'm like, 
we're going to keep up with this. Yeah, and, and so yeah. I don't know. I, I actually fall on the older side here with the conversation. Like sometimes I feel like that last generation, that, that generation are talking about, it's just a little too close to the flame. I, but I, she's I, saying, no, it brings us back. Yeah, I actually think I disagree. I I think we were we were taught to be so afraid almost to the point where we became like yeah. xenophobic. And like then I think it left us. It actually left us not strong enough, I think, in our faith or our belief because we were unwilling to engage in like other people's perspectives and faiths because like what if it accidentally triggered ours and triggered our lack of faith and we weren't willing i think to go into like well what if it does then what like you have to build from there and you have to know what you believe and you have to like really decide do i love jesus is jesus real to me or not and i think we didn't allow ourselves to wrestle with some hard things because of that fear and really just that our faith was really shaky i think from the beginning so i actually think your daughter's probably right like no, it's probably not going to shake her faith. If anything, it might build it and help right. her be a better friend to others. This I've never heard this phrase, faith unbundled. That's yeah. a new way to say deconstructing? I think it's like a lesser way of saying it. Deconstructing is like I'm taking it down. This is like I'm picking some things but not other things. Unbundling feels like... Hey, there's some things that don't need to be a part of it that I'm trying to. I yeah. think of that as unwinding, yeah. like this whole ball of whatever. Yeah. And so, a really interesting article. On the, what I learned here is Gen Z wants to be treated as adults, and now we're of the age where we get to decide that. We are the ones. We're the older ones who get we're, to decide. I like this power. We finally have it. We're the ones who go. You'll be at the kids' table till we tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, Aubrey. There was an interview with a uh, mega church pastor we've talked about in the past who had a huge fall. And is now launching the second campus of his church. And I want to wrestle with some of the stuff that he says. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. One of the things we've talked a lot about on this show is uh, not just scandals with pastors, but then what should happen to particularly, in this case, the celebrity pastor who, quote unquote, falls. Right. Who takes that big tumble? We can list them, whether it be Bill Hybels or James McDonald yeah. or Mark Driscoll. Yeah. Or in the case, Rebe- or, uh, well, how did I forget? What was Hillsong, New York guy? Carl Lentz, Brian right. Houston, all of them. All of them. What do we do with Perry Noble? I want you to, mm. Perry Noble mm. has always been, he's a quirky dude, yep. which I think is part of his draw back in the yep. day, right? Yep. Perry Noble, South Carolina, I think, New, yeah, New Spring, Spring Church. Church. Yep. Uh, Perry Noble uh, had a very, um, so he was very tied to Stephen Furtick. Mm-hmm. A lot of people kind of, rate, he was in that whole elephant room with James McDonald, all of that stuff. Uh, Perry Noble, there was alcoholism. There was He was known some as shadiness. being kind of a jerk, too. Right? Uh, left his wife. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was basically told to go away. Yeah. So New Spring uh, brought on new leadership and kind of moved on. Yeah. So Perry Noble kind of went away. And then all of a sudden you heard Perry Noble was starting a church called Second, Second Chance, Chance church. church. That's right. I forgot about that. Second Chance Church. Yep. Well, uh, he is now starting, and he says in this article that's at the Christian Post, somewhat reluctantly... They are starting, they just announced a second campus to Second Chance Church. Okay, so it's not a new church, but it's another campus of Second of Chance. Of Second church. Chance. So Second Chance is kind of growing. Yeah. Uh, and this and that. So uh, I'm going to read you some of his quotes in here. But okay. 
at the time of his <clears throat> firing in 2016, so it's been a while. Yep. Uh, there has been has it really been that long? That's 2016? not seem wild. That doesn't seem possible. Uh, since then. Like, he got fired for a lot of big reasons. Yeah. Like, not in a fair right. or so, But, like, alcohol abuse. Yeah. Uh, a double bullying, life. Bullying. Yeah. A double life. Yeah. Left his wife. Yeah. All of this stuff. He's got a church now that's growing. He's kind of almost using. And that I'm not is say, like a platform. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, second chance church implies yeah. he needed a second chance. Yep. Is this a victory story or is this an uncomfortable Story. Yeah. How do you relate? Because it's been a while now. Yeah. Should we be celebrating a second Perry Noble campus or should we be going, gosh, this doesn't feel right. And why does this church keep growing? I, re- I wrestle with this, honestly. And I, I won't go into the details, but I know someone very close to me who interviewed with Perry Noble and his team maybe a year or two ago. And I would say, based on their experience, like some things have not changed. Mm. And it was surprising to me. And Kevin and I were both like, get out of there, like yeah. run as far as you can. Um, I don't know. It's like both and, Brian. Like you want to celebrate, right? Like our God is a God of redemption mm-hmm. and our God is a, a second chance God. And, you know, none of us are beyond, you know, sin and, and corruption. And you want to believe God can still use you even after that. I think what's so dip- difficult for me in all of these situations is he obviously did not take seriously his mantle of being a pastor and a shepherd. Feels like it. And I just don't know why. I think there can be redemption and restoration without ever needing to be a pastor again. Like, I'm not sure why that title and why that role especially after living this horrible double life. Now I'm, I'm guessing he got sober. Like I'm guessing we want to think he did the work. Yeah. And, and so that's what's, that's why I think it's so complicated because there is one half of me that wants to go. Amen. Like, let's celebrate this. Like, look at what God is doing. The church is growing. He's hopefully living a new kind of clean, sober minded and actually like sober lifestyle for Jesus and there's another part of me that's like, this doesn't seem like redemption because it doesn't seem like you're actually repentant yeah. for what happened. He says this, stepping into this next season, I'm both excited and a little scared. I know the accusations of not being qualified are coming, as well as reminders of my past. But I also know the grace of God is mercy to me in his relentless pursuit. He never gave up on me, which I think is basically what his church is about. Second chance church. So he's he's scared of the accusations of not being qualified. Uh, pardon me for sounding somewhat pharisaical, that might be because biblically he's not qualified. And that's where this gets difficult. When you deal with all of the, let alone the small church pastors, but the big church celebrity, Mm -hmm. big fall pastors, you go, I don't know, maybe you're not qualified to keep doing this. Maybe the divorce and all of this uh, calls that into question. I've never met the man. I have no idea. But I do think this story, which was run at the Christian Post, kind of once again puts a big spotlight on celebrity church culture. Like, I haven't seen the big expose that says, here's how I'm a changed man. Right. Like, in some ways, it's, hey, man, you grew a church really big one time, uh, and then after you did that, you started something called the Growth Company, which teaches churches to grow. grow. Yeah. Let's get you back doing it again. And guess what? The church is growing. And I think we have to ask ourselves, 
because of why? I think the tricky part, too, is like, yeah, I think it was only seven months. Yeah, seven months after he was fired, he was still preaching at other churches. Mm-hmm. He returned to the pulpit, I think, at Elevation Church. Like, And then, like you said, started this growth company. So that's what's, that's what's hard to swallow in stories like these is, okay, are you... Are you pulpiting the guy and platforming the guy because he is really good at growing a church? He's Clearly got that charismatic. personality. He's Clearly. charismatic. He's probably a really fiery preacher. Like all the things that I think people think that they want at the end of the day. And I'm not, he's probably very talented. Like there's no doubt about that. But if the, if the character doesn't back up the talent or match the talent, it's like, Paul in first Corinthians 13, mm-hmm. like it's all just a resounding gong without love. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, it, it is, it's, I, I think the struggle I always have, and I know I'm repeating myself now, but why the need to be back in yeah. pulpit? Yeah. Why the need to be back in a church leadership role? Like serve in a church volunteer. If you need to preach, preach in the prison, preach to the homeless, like where it's unseen, where it's, um, not about celebrity where you're doing it for decades and decades and let then let's see what God does. But even as I'm saying that, there's this part of me that's like, but what if it was you? Mm-hmm. What if it was me? Yeah. You know, yeah. but I do. I think it's a fair question. Would people say he's not qualified because actually he he did um, intentionally disqualify himself? It comes back to this question and I don't have a good answer for it with is are there things that happen that permanently disqualify you, not from God's grace, sure, not from God's no, forgiveness, not, not from, from salvation, and and, yeah. but from leadership? Yeah. And I think that's the I think that's the question. And I don't know that we wrestle with that enough no, as we replatform so a lot of these men and a lot of these people throughout mm-hmm. small church, but also big church. Yeah, I think that's what churches need to wrestle with. Not about charisma, but does a lack of character in, in a cataclysmic way, unqualify you for good right. from the pulpit. Right. Again, right. not from God's grace, right. not from salvation, not right. from forgiveness. Um, yeah, because here, this is a guy that we see he is now launching a second campus. And here we go. Brian Fromm was just singing. I was. Sing it for the people, No, but you're very singy today. And you're bringing back in this and that. I will not. When yeah. we get closer to the holidays, we'll start singing them Christmas yeah, carols. Yeah, we'll, we'll do some, some Christmas. We'll do a whole Christmas carol segment for our people. <laughs> can't can't wait for that. Hey, speaking of Christmas, Christmas and money. Um, oh, this isn't a fun conversation. No, this is a hard conversation. This is like okay. C- there's a couple ways to talk about this. One is just oh man, it's overwhelming to think about spending money at Christmas because you just spend more. To yeah, start what Christmas is. Two, uh, I think I, I was reading something from a shopaholic, actually, a shop, someone with a shopping addiction on uh, Relevant magazine. And, and I started thinking about like compulsive shopping and Christmas is really hard because it's kind of an acceptable time of year to be a compulsive shopper. Mm. Right. There's so many sales and with um, a Cyber Monday and Black Friday and everything online and going into all the stores so there's that piece that I think is really hard. Um, I don't know where we want to take this. I think maybe the most relatable is just like, ooh, budget. It it's is hard. a hard time of year. couple reasons why. Uh, let's speak as you and I kind of, the life we lead is one where the budget is pretty tight. Yeah. It's yeah. just, 
And I know a lot of our listeners feel the same way. There totally. are certain people out there where well, a lot more freedom financially, a lot more freedom. Yeah. Uh, and budgets, it is what it is, mm-hmm. right? You don't really need to worry about it. Yeah. But for the majority of us, I do feel like Christmas is difficult for a couple different reasons. One, you got kids, you want to buy for them, you do. right? You I want, do. and things are yes, expensive. They are. So there's that too. Um, as much as maybe you're better at this than me, but I always have a like a, this vision of all right, we're going to save money, Dave Ramsey style, through mm. the year that we will then spend for Christmas. That'll be the Christmas budget, right? Yeah, it's in my budget line. Like we've right. got it there. Right. It just right. doesn't happen. No, it's it like when happen. you're really young as a parent, and they're like, "You need to start putting money away for college." You're like. <laughs> Seriously, I can't afford to buy diapers right now. I can't do this. But guess what? I have kids in college now, and I'm like, I wish I did I wish that. I know. We're facing that now, too. We're like, why didn't we do that? Well, the reason you didn't do that is because you couldn't afford no, anything true. at that it's moment. True. And so that's what makes it difficult, because now you go, I already have a tight budget. Yep. And now you're asking me to – now we have to put in X number of dollars for Christmas – and that's not budgeted. It's not like all of a sudden I can do this $1,000 carve out or whatever. I totally, made up a number there. Totally. Uh, and all of a sudden I have this carve out that's like, oh, we are able to pay for it. And so you're inevitably chasing that money. Yeah. And it makes it difficult. Add on top of this yeah. that money is probably the number one stressor of marriages. Ugh. Not mine or yours, apparently. Right, Definitely for sure, not. But, not at all. But. You know, one spouse probably thinks we're going to spend this much or yeah. do it this way. Another yep. spouse is like, we're going to do it this way. Yep. And uh, that becomes a whole stew that can really take the joy of Christmas and rip it right out of there where uh, you're like, I uh, just want to get this over with so uh, we don't have to spend Christmas. Mo- uh, like, we don't have to spend money anymore. It is. It's re- it's so painful. And I, I you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Like, I'm a gift giver and I love getting great gifts for my kids for Christmas. I love surprising them. I love a big Christmas morning. But the reality of my budget doesn't uh, my do, my don't match my dreams. Maybe that's the way to say yeah. it. And um. Here's the question. Like, what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. Especially this time of year. You and I have had talks about budgets before on the show and how we budget. If you're not someone who started in January creating this whole line, which we all meant to do, but we didn't. right? in my budget. You come to November, you come to December, and you're like, okay, we're just going to be squeezing the belt. We're going to make this work. Uh, How do you do it? How do we go about it? So let me start with this, what we mentioned earlier. It's just much less, I would say the primary goal here is not to get as much as you can, or it's even about the money. The primary goal, if you are married particularly, is to be on the same page here. Yeah, that's this could so really, good. You don't want to walk out of Christmas with your marriage not doing well because one person didn't want presents bought and the other one, you know, you were on a different spot. So I would say task A is to make sure you talk about it, you're on the same page, whether you're like, we're getting everybody one gift or we're getting everybody 10 gifts, whether it's we're spending 50 bucks or we're spending 500 bucks on a person. Just be in agreement, be working through. So that's my first one. Uh, And then to just, this sounds so hard, Aubrey, as best you can spend the money that you have, not that Mm. you don't have. Like, don't, don't be running up debt over Christmas. Talk to your kids about it if they're older. Uh, about, hey, you know what? Money's tight. Inflation's good. So maybe yeah. we can come up with experiences to yeah. do. Maybe we yeah. can do whatever. Don't like kind of 
torpedo yourself because you're chasing something that's of what good. you think that's so good you're supposed to be able to do for christmas yeah that's so good it, and it's easy to do that like it's it, for me i'll just be honest it's easy for me to get emotional about my mm-hmm. shopping at christmas because i want it to be a big christmas morning and i love that i think that's great but the the emotions can't override the reality of the budget because that's when you get into credit card debt. That's mm-hmm. when you get into trouble. And so I do think that you can have sort of you. I mean, you essentially said this, but to have this sort of philosophy around Chris, Christmas giving, like what does giving mean to you? Um, why are you giving to people? Who are you giving right. to? And it, some people I think you might feel obligated f- to give and you could just kind of take those people off your list mm-hmm. or you could do something a little bit different, a little bit less expensive, a homemade or just send them a nice text. Merry That's Christmas. Right. I'm so grateful for the, you this year. Um, and then I think the people that, you know, you really want to give to think about the why you're doing it, because mm-hmm. um, I think that'll help kind of motivate when you're looking at your budget. What's the reason behind this? So. I know a couple of years ago, Carrie's family, as the grandkid, uh, the the cousins were getting older and older, and there was more of them. There were some seasons where we, you were basically on the hook to buy for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it got to be smaller. Like everyone had a name, but it was still expensive. We're to the point now. We don't, we do like a white elephant gift exchange and laugh perfect. laugh about it yeah. and go. Yeah, and I that's think to the point. That's to your point of how do you decide who's getting what? Um, am am I having to buy for everybody? Am I having to do that? No, like do what's right for your yeah, family. Do yeah. what's right for your family and be willing to have the hard conversations. Yeah, be willing to have the hard conversations. I think that's a great idea. Like starting with the adult siblings to just go, hey, let's just do something fun. Maybe we'll all go out to dinner together one yeah. night. Or like there's there's a way to do it differently. And then this is so obvious. You set up, Brian, have a budget. Decide yep. with your spouse if you're married on the budget. Stick to the budget. It's hard to do. I know it's hard to do mm-hmm. at Christmas. And then I, something that I do is I keep track of what I'm spending, which yes. is part of the budget. But I do. I have an, an app on my phone that's like, okay, here's what I bought for this person. Here's what I spent. Here's what I spent. Here's what I spent. So you aren't at the end like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went $500 over and I didn't mean to. And I do think it's worth knowing you are going to have to tighten your belt in other areas in your budget because you yeah. do want to spend more on Christmas gifts and you just are going to. So, like, can you save going out to dinner mm-hmm. till the special Christmas dinner and this mm-hmm. the rest of the month you don't? Can you hone in your Starbucks or your Panera iced tea for the month? Because, you know, you're, club. you know, like, what are <laughs> yes. some ways that you can intentionally tighten sure. your belt for maybe November, December so that you can spend a little bit more in these other categories. Mm-hmm. I think that's another way to think about it. Absolutely. All be creative. Right. Be, be creative. creative. Have fun. Don't get yourself in trouble. All right. Coming up next, what are some ways we can stay close to God during the busy holiday season? We'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. Just kidding. I was ju- I'm was. i just trying to sing to annoy Brian at this point because I keep singing. Now and... it's part of your stick. I it's think part it is. of what you yeah, do now. This is the singing. This is the singing. I prefer you go show. back to the Irish accent that you've done in the <laughs> we'll past. See. We'll see if I bring that back or not. That's kind of a St. Paddy's Day situation. Hey, my name is Aubrey Sampson. I am joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. It is the end of the show, and we want to encourage you spiritually. It is a busy time of year. Mm-hmm. 
feels like it's always a busy time of year. So even when I say that, I'm like, yeah, but is it really busier? It is. There are more things. There are more school activities. There are more Christmas parties. There is more shopping to do. There is more stuff on the to-do list. They're fun things. Certainly is a busy time. So how do you stay close to God during this overwhelming season? Some of this is so obvious, mm-hmm. but I think it's worth reminding people. I, I guess I would ask before we remind people, mm-hmm. why is this a deal? What even? Uh, why? Because I totally agree with this, but you would think from the outside you'd go Christmas time. Yeah, that's probably a super easy time to keep thinking about Jesus. That's probably a really easy time. <laughs> oh man! But it's not. We know it's not. Mm-hmm. And so, why do you think that is? You know, I saw, I'm making a point with this. I saw somebody post, I'm a Christian, but my pillows are agnostic. Like they were just basically talking about their Christmas pillows are all like Santa, you know what I mean? Or like elves and gnomes. And I I think that's a piece of it. It's just, it can get very easy to get swept up in the hubbub and the fun of Christmas. But then suddenly you're really focusing on the gifts and the spending something we just talked about and the Santa and all of the activities and all the things you need to do and all the memories you want to mm-hmm. make with your family that I think it can be with really good intentions and with a lot of exciting Christmas spirit, you can actually forget like, oh, this is Jesus's birth that we're celebrating. I know, right? You know? Like this matters. Yes. Yeah. And so I think part of it is it is just the, the why behind it. It's, it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to get caught up in all kinds of stories that are happening right now that are fun and exciting. And then I think it's um, easy to forget the, you know, pardon the cliche, but the reason for the season. Mm -hmm. And so I do think there has to be some intentionality about staying close to God, staying connected to Jesus, pursuing some intentional rhythms, Mm -hmm. liturgies, what have you, practices to keep you connected to the heart of God during this time, because it's very easy to lose track of what it's all about. Yeah, it really is. Your reason for the season I actually used that phrase in my sermon yesterday, but I did say in the much overused phrase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um, it it is. This is actually, I would suggest, a big time of spiritual disconnection. Yeah, because we know one of the things that rec- that that precipitates or brings about spiritual quote unquote dryness or distance is busyness. And this is ultimately a really, really busy time of year. Yeah. So part of this is how do I not go crazy with the busyness? Mm, that's good. Because busyness just about always leads to spiritual disconnect, spiritual distance. Totally. Um, and so I, I think this the answer to this might be the busyness aspect of Christmas. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so what are some ways to slow down and even for a few minutes kind of step away from the busyness and stay close to God? This seems so obvious, but... Spend some time in the Bible. Mm, that would do it. Read a psalm yep. with your family at night. There's so many Advent devotionals out there online or that organizations are sending out. We're doing a um, world relief, like welcoming the stranger Advent devotional oh, right cool. now. And so at night, we're just reading it with our kids. And that's a, you know, it doesn't take much time. You can pause. You can do it at the dinner table. You can read in the morning. But spend a few minutes before bed in the morning connecting with mm-hmm. God through some type of scripture reading. God's word is alive. God meets us in his word. And it is just a way to sort of not check another thing off mm-hmm. the box and burden sure. yourself, but like slow down, be with God, kind of get refocused and then go about the things you're going about. The Bible is a good answer. Yeah. In in Christian world. But 
Sometimes, like, we make jokes, right, about the church answer. It's always Jesus, whatever. It's the church answer because it's true and it's foundational. The Bible's an answer to reading your Bible is an answer to a lot of things, including this. And you can be very specific about it right now, right? I'm going to read the Christmas story. Mm -hmm. I'm going to immerse myself in why did Jesus come? Like, there's, Mm -hmm. there's ways you can go about your Bible reading. Uh, over that busy holiday season. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I'm over at Relevant Magazine. They actually have five ways to stay close to God during this holiday season. They also say make time to serve. I think this is really helpful. Like, who in your church community needs some attention and love? Are there some official service opportunities you can join? Pray and ask God who you can serve this holiday season and set a time to do so. They say offer to do Christmas shopping for an older immunocompromised friend or neighbor. Uh, meet somebody's needs. I, I think another way is like find a way to serve with your whole family. I mm-hmm. think that can be really meaningful over the holidays too. This one's interesting. Okay. Christmas music is big, yep. right? I love me some Christmas music. We, you and I have been kind of later on in this week, we're going to talk about like our, maybe our least favorite Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. We might do that. Um, oh, we will. Uh, this article suggesting listen to Christ-centered Christmas. Yeah, they say music. listen to truth. I think that's great. I think mm. it's right. Like there is something that happens in your soul when you sing along with and listen to "Oh Holy Night" versus "Jingle Bell Rock," no, right? Or ooh, that's one that's gonna be on your list. I, I mm. learned already. Yeah, I don't like or Rudolph. Rock. Right? Like yeah. those are fun. They're, They're fine. Fun. Totally. But there is something about when you're when you're in your car and you turn on "Oh Holy Night," you're like. Dang, I yeah. just went to church. Like, yes. Yeah, that's so good. They also mentioned podcasts, radio stations like AM1160, listen to The Common Good, audiobooks, things that remind you the truth of who God is. You can do that while you're working around the house, wrapping presents, even working out. Pause and pray when you feel overwhelmed. I feel like that's a, it, some of these are so obvious, but it's so, so easy to forget. Yes, it's yes. so easy to be like, you're overwhelmed, you're anxious, you're overly concerned about something, and just to stop and go, God, I I actually need you to meet me here. Mm-hmm. I think is another way to feel connected to God, to remind, you know, yourself to worship God and to to ask for God's peace. And then I think the other reality, Brian, is like this time of year can happen to you or you can be sort of in control of how it That's happens, really good. right? And yep. I do, of course we all know God is in control of everything, but what I mean is like the days will kind of take over if you are not careful to plan your holiday intentionally and Mark out those moments that you want to make with your family, to mark out those times you want to spend with Jesus, to mark out intentional times for Sabbath and solitude and, and some of the more restful spiritual practices connecting with God through his word, through prayer, through worship. If you're not mindful to intentionally do that, it'll just take over and soon it'll be the new year and you'll be like, oh, what just happened? I think that much the way we do with... um New Year's resolutions. Yeah. I think what's today? December 4th. I think think to your December 5th. I think think to Mm -hmm. yourself 20 days from now, 25 days from now when the Christmas season's Mm kind of kind of coming to a close. What do I want to have happened over these weeks? Mm -hmm. Like it's just working backwards. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to feel rested. All right. What are you going to do to feel rested? Yeah. I want to feel like I I immersed myself in my family time. All right. What are you going to do? do? I want to feel like I... 
I read the Christmas story and I spend time. You get how it works. Yeah. We can hope and hope and hope. Right. And if you don't do anything about it, it's not going to change. So I would encourage people today. Good. What are you going to do to get the outcome at the end of Christmas that you're mm. hoping for? Mm. Oh, I would love to hear from our listeners on that. If you want to let us know on social media at Common Good Talk, what are you doing to get the outcome you want to see at Christmas this year? I love that idea. I love that idea for a conversation as well. All right. Well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I am Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.